Well, good morning, church. It's a privilege for me to stand here again. As you probably heard, my name is Mark. I'm intern at Stirling. Help you out, out here at the Ridge. Um, getting asked to preach more and more. Even when the elders are here, I get asked to preach, not only when they aren't here. I was starting to get a bit worried. You know, when no one else was available, they asked me. But I think last time I got to preach, like three of the four elders were here, so all was good. So today I'm going to talk on a topic that, that may seem a bit strange to, to speak on in church. But it's a topic that I think we need to deal with because as we'll look at, we'll see church attendance isn't the most important thing in this topic. So we're going to talk about the topic of spiritual maturity. I think it was about two weeks ago, Matt Francis decided to do a once-off sermon at, at Sterling Campus, which turned into a five-week series, which we started out the ridge. So he tried to deal with what I'm going to deal with now in, in one sermon and it turned out to be a five-week series. Um, so we're starting it today. The, today we're going to deal with what is spiritual maturity and then looking at how we grow in spiritual maturity. And I understand that as I stand here, there's a, a difficult challenge that I face in, in the sense that there's some of you today who, whose spiritual maturity, if you're going like, to put it in levels, it, is higher than mine. So, so in a sense, I could be learning from you in how to grow. While on the other side, I know there's guys here today who are sitting there going, you know, is this Christian thing really worth it? You know, is this something that I actually want to do? Is this something that I want to be part of? You know, there's, you, you're at the end kind of going, I'm not sure. Like, I'm, I'm debating, I'm trying to work out. So today I want to show that there's hope for both categories. You know, one, in a sense, those who are going well to keep going well. And for those who are struggling or, or fighting through to, to not grow tired and weary. While on the other side, I know that there's a large group in the middle, if we're to divide the church into three. There's a large group in the middle that there's a way of spiritual maturity. It's not a, it's not a new term. It's not something that you've, you've never heard before. But the issue is we're not really sure how to do it. I mean, I think growing up for me in, in church... I'd often hear the term, you know, you need to grow more in Christ, which, which is great, except I was never told how. Or, or some of the steps in, in getting there. It's easy knowing I need to do something, but how do I need to do it is the question we want to answer today. So hopefully this series just gives us not a few verses that we can hold on to, but rather some practical steps that we can make our dream for spiritual maturity a reality. And, and I found this illustration online and, and for some reason, I looked, I looked through my sermon notes this morning, and like all my illustrations have to do with oranges. Like, I don't know why. Maybe it's just like I saw oranges in the shop, and like I ate one and then prepared my sermon. But, but I, just so if you hear all the orange illustrations, I apologize in advance. But, but have you ever driven? For me, I always picture driving to Addo, and you know you go through those orange plantations. And when I was in Mozambique two years ago, I made the vital mistake of telling people that I liked what the, like tangerines. And so, so they brought me one, or they had like two or three, and I was like, oh, it's a tangerine. And so he shared one with me. And the next day, he brought me my own one. Two days later, he brought me a packet. Three days later, he brought me another packet. By the end of the week, I had about six packets of tangerines and had eaten about six. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to do with them. But, but if you've ever seen an orange tree, they're like heavy and the branches are like half bending and breaking. So I found this illustration of a man. He says he was driving, driving along the road. He drove past an orange plantation. For as far as the eye could see, he saw oranges. 
They stopped for breakfast along the side of the road. He ordered orange juice with his breakfast. The waitress said, sorry, sir, but I can't bring you orange juice. Our machine is broken. At this, he was very confused. We're surrounded by millions of oranges. They had oranges in the kitchen. He even got served a slice of orange with his eggs. What was the problem? No juice. This is hardly true. There were thousands of gallons of juice sitting on the tree. The problem was that they had become dependent on the machine to get it. And I think sometimes as Christians we like that. We're surrounded by our Bibles in our home. But what happens when Sunday morning, you know, the, the preaching's not up to standard? Or, or, you know, it's not your normal person that preaches here on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we go home going, we've had no nourishment for our souls. The problem is not a lack of spiritual food, but many Christians have grown, haven't grown enough to learn how to fend for themselves. Haven't learned enough that you actually just need to cut that orange and you can squeeze it by hand and you get the juice out. And, and I think that's what we want to deal with today. It's not, it's not that spiritual maturity is just this once-off event, but rather it's a process that we grow into. And, and that's why I said there's, there's different scales and the nice part is we have an opportunity to, to grow as we grow in this. So the question is, what does spiritual maturity, immaturity look like? If we're going to talk about spiritual maturity, what's the opposite? And for me, I don't know, my brain just works this way. Whenever you talk about something, I think about the opposite, and, and it makes sense. So, so this often looks different. There's different levels, different degrees, but some, some telltale signs of spiritual immaturity is you daily fear the future, and this erodes your trust in God. You know, we, when things are going well, we trust God. But as soon as things start getting a little bit shaky, we go, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure. We kind of think God's changed his mind. You know, we're not sure if we can trust him anymore. And, and, we, and we struggle with that. Your experience of corporate worship becomes empty. You know, you sit there going, song one, song two, he's going to pray, song three. Okay, wait, fourth song. Okay, why is he singing five? Okay, why are we singing it again? Okay, let's end now. You know, you, you almost just get, want to get through the hour. You know, the preacher goes for an hour and 20, and you're kind of like almost walking out with your chair. You know, you, you don't want to be here. <laughs> okay, you're unimpressed by the things of God. Okay, the preached word seems boring. Hopefully not today. But <laughs> okay, praise and worship becomes a burden. Spiritual advice falls on deaf ears. You know, you used to listen to it, but now you're skeptical. Now you're going, I'm not really sure. You know, why does he keep telling me to do the same thing? I'm all right. I've got this. I'm in control. And I think one that, that kind of jumps out, and, and I think I, I'm guilty of doing this every now and then, is, you know, the spiritual articles and, and the things you signed up for, you know, the newsletters, and they, they come via email, and they end up just in, like, the delete or the spam folder. Or, or that, that, that news article you used to subscribe to, you get the letter every month, and it just stays in the envelope. There's, there's no desire to, to read spiritual things. There's no desire to, to see what's going on past yourself. You know, all, all you want is, is me. And the reality is that day after day, sermon after sermon, small group after small group, we become discouraged by the widening gap between the desire of who we are or the desire of who we want to be and who we're really becoming. I heard a sermon on this, and it's kind of, you know, the Bible talks about our, our us as being glorified, and, and that will happen in heaven, but, but we're we on that process through sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. 
That, that, that's, that's the end goal. But the reality is our lives often go this way. You know, it, it often, we often look less and less like Christ and not more and more like Christ. And, 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 that's, and that's what we're going to try to deal with today, that, that making ourselves look more and more like Christ, growing more and more in spiritual maturity. And two things that just jump out is, firstly, church attendance doesn't equal spiritual maturity. And, and I say that is because the second point is that I think Christians, we've really developed the fake it till you make it idea. Like you, you fake it for as long as you can, and it, it looks like maturity. It, it has all the outward appearances of spiritual maturity, but inside you're falling apart. You know, you, you yeah, every Sunday, you're volunteering for ministry. You're going, yeah, I am. I, I want to be in a small group. You attend small group every week. But in your personal life, your, your Bible's the doorstop. And, and if, like your, if, if prayer was like your cell phone, it would, the battery would be flat. You know, you haven't used it for as long as possible. So why, why should you desire spiritual growth or spiritual maturity? And the first point is that growth is natural and healthy. I mean, I think we've all made this mistake when you, when you see a child, like, periodically. And, and the first thing you say is, wow, they got so big. And, and I understand that they've grown since the last time you've seen them, but the truth of the matter is if they got smaller, you'd be very concerned. Like, he was this tall and now he's this tall. There could be a problem. We, we might want to go get that addressed. But, but growth is natural. Growth is healthy. You know, we, we look at it in life and, and growth happens. Like, you don't just stay still. Things grow. And that means as, as Christians, we can't be happy to live a life where we're stagnant and going nowhere. Which leads into the second point, going that in our Christian walk, we're either moving forwards or we're going backwards. The reality is I, I don't think Christianity has a handbrake where you can just go, I'm happy at this point, pull up the handbrake and sit there. It, it's something where the, you need to be moving forward, striving more, or the issue is you, you just start falling backwards. You know, it, it becomes a, a less and less priority. It becomes something that you used to want to do now, it's a burden to do. So you stop doing it. So we're either moving forward or we're going backwards. But looking at Scripture, why does God desire us to experience spiritual vitality and maturity? There's just three verses we're going to deal with quickly today, and then we're going to get on to some of the practical steps, which I think is the, the exciting part. So 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12. It says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking be mature. And if we, just, if we just break that verse down, it says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. And, and it, it simply means that children think like a child, or a child thinks like a child because they have nothing else to base it on. And I always think of it this way. If, if, a five -year -old, if your five-year-old son or daughter is having a tantrum tantrum in the shop and like throwing it around, like throwing stuff off the shelf and just going like wild, Chances are you're not going to say that they're acting childish. Why? Because they're acting like a child. However, if I was to walk into the shop and do that, you know, most people would go, look at that man, he's acting childish. Why? Because I know how an adult should act, and that's how I should be acting. But as a child, that's all you do know. So, so it says, do, do not be churning your thinking. Like, like, don't think like a child because you know better. But it says, rather be infants in evil. Which is a very interesting verse. Kind of looked at it and I was like, okay, that's quite weird. 
but, but simply all it means is, is be innocent in evil. So, so strive less and less for evil. So, so like an infant is small and, and doesn't do much besides like eat and sleep. You know, let, let like that be what your evil is like. That it doesn't, it doesn't dominate your life. But rather in your thinking, be mature. Paul encourages the, the church to grow towards spiritual maturity. Put away the things of, of, of a child and, and strive towards being mature in your thinking. So, so in other words, he's pushing, he's pushing them or urging them to move forward. Don't just be happy where you are. Don't, don't just be happy acting like a child or thinking like a child. But rather be mature in your thinking. The next verse is, is from Hebrews 5, verse 11 to 14, and, and it kind of builds off what we've just spoken about. It says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. And the author here describes that, that it's, it's not that they can't hear, but rather that they're unwilling to hear. If you read Hebrews 5, just before that, he, the author goes through an argument of, of who Christ is, the, you know, the great high priest, the, the one who is greater than anyone else. He is the high priest for eternity. And now the author is saying that, not that you can't, saying that they will not grasp or understand this concept because they're not willing to hear what's been said. You know, they, they want to be, and as we'll go, they want to be on, on milk and not solid food. So they don't want to grasp the, these concepts because they're happy where they're at. He says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. However, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. You know, milk, milk is given to babies because they're unable to deal with the solid food that we, we eat. And the verse here is saying that, that some of you should be teachers. Some of you should be telling others about the basics of the faith. Some of you should be sharing your faith with others. You should be telling them how their walk should be going you should be helping them, except your desire is for milk. The, 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 the author is saying that your desire is for, for the basics still. You, you don't want to go any further. You don't want to grow anymore. Um, and this results in a lack of spiritual growth because you're just going nowhere. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So, so in other words, it's the, that simple principle, and I, and I love this in... In, in, in what, in, in practice, sometimes this verse kind of goes, you know, because you, uns I've heard this verse get used, you know, because you're unskilled or you've just become a Christian, you know, you can't, you can't do the big things. You know, you have to start small. But, but, but rather, you know, it's unskilled, but there's still the ability to share the word of God. So, so even in, even in our, our young stages of Christianity, we can, we can still proclaim his word. But it says solid food is for the mature. And, and that's what we need to strive for. We need to live to, to feed on, on solid food. And the final verse is 1 Peter verse 2, verse 1 to 3. It says, Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander. If you really want to sum it up with one word or a couple of words, it says, Put away sin. Strive to sin less. Don't make sin your priority. Put it away. He says, like a newborn infant, defining new believers, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it they may grow up in their salvation. And again, it, just, it shows us that, that spiritual growth is, is something that happens. You know, there, there's a desire for spiritual milk. There's a, there's a desire for, 
call the basics. But the verse doesn't say you, you need to end there. There's a desire for the basics, but you need to go further. You need to want more. And it says that you, that you may grow up in your salvation, that you become more and more, not saved, but more and more like Christ. It's not, it's not a point of saying you need to work for your salvation or, or you, know, you need to grow so that you can earn more salvation. It's rather saying that you need to grow so you can become more and more like Christ. And finally it says that if you, if you, if you indeed have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And, and that this spiritual growth results from experiencing God. It, it doesn't just result from, from sitting in a seat or, or hoping for the best, but rather it results out of, out, of, out of experiencing God in your life. But it's important to state here that as we talk about moving from, from immaturity towards maturity, from, from milk to solid food, you know, in our mind, sometimes it, it, it goes, you know, as we get more and more mature in our salvation, or as we grow more and more in Christ, there's a desire to put away the basics. And as you read some of these verses, you could go, you know, the, this man standing here today kind of told me, I need to forget about the basics and, and move on to bigger things. And, and, the, and the truth of the matter is that the basics are the foundation that everything else is built upon. So, so there's never a point that we need to forget the basics. Martin Luther said the most important person to preach the gospel to is yourself. Remind yourself of what the gospel is daily. And, and that, I mean, the gospel is the basic of the faith. That's, that's the starting point. But remind yourself of that daily so, so the rest can be built upon that. I mean, if we stood here today and said Jesus isn't the Son of God, we have a problem. You know, if we wanted to change that. Or, or Jesus died on the cross for your and my sin. If we decided to change that, we, we would be, I should rather just sit down and we can all go home. So, so we're not saying we need to get rid of the basics, but rather we need to build upon the basics. And here's the second orange illustration. If you were to plant an orange seed in the ground, I, like, if, if this is horribly wrong, I apologize. Like, I, I don't think I've ever grown anything in my life. But if you put an orange seed in the ground, you, you put it in the pot, you put sand, you put water, and, and what's the first thing that pops out? An orange. Okay, no, a leaf or, or like a little like green thing. You know, the leaf pops out, photosynthesis takes place, the, the plant grows. Okay, the trunks formed, branches grow out, then they're flowers, and eventually the flowers turn into fruit. Is, is that like an accurate process? Okay, people are nodding. I think I've got it right. Okay, if the fruit was formed first, like... I think we would be shocked. And, and I kind of think it's similar to what we're trying to understand with spiritual growth is that the foundations are built. And, and I think the foundations were, you know, that little, that little leaf popping out, forming a trunk, the branches forming, flowers, then the fruit. And, and the same as in our spiritual walk, the foundation is laid so we can build upon, upon it. Sometimes, you know, you get confused very easily by, by theological discussions. You know, and, and if, you, if you're not spiritually mature, if it's something that's not, you know, if, you, if you're still trying to gr like wrestle with the basics and guys are trying to talk about, you know, pre-millennial, post-millennial, and when Jesus is returning, and, you know, what side of, like, salvation like, does Jesus call you? You know, there's these major debates that, that if we try to argue without much base, without much foundation, it, it just leaves you confused and not refreshed. I know, I mean, Joe, Joe will tell you, but you kind of sit through 
seminary or, or college, when you, when you sit and study the Bible, you get guys who ask like way out there questions. And, and sometimes you go, you know, oh, have I like believed a lie my whole life? Or is that how it is? Like, I don't know. But, but on, built upon the foundation, it starts to make sense. But if you start wrestling with those topics first off, it's like planting that seed and expecting the first thing to pop out the ground is an orange. And not just a little one, a big one. Like nice and juicy. But the sad, the sad reality of, of, of the church and, and regarding spiritual growth is, is that I think we, we've got lazy. And, and I found this quote. It was written in 1948 by A.W. Tozer. I have a box set. It's like my favorite set of books. But, but he says this, it says, How tragic it, it is that we live in this dark day where we've had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. We are not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. We have been snared in the coils of false logic that insists once we have found him, we need, no, we need not seek him anymore. And, and it, it, the idea is that once we become a Christian, in, in some of our minds we go, I've, I've accepted Christ, I've crossed the line of faith, I'm done. That's it. I've, I've got my ticket. And, and I'm happy to go from there. And, and there's no need to desire God anymore. There's no need to go deep in a relationship with God anymore. And, and if we do want to grow more, we come to church. Or we expect someone else to teach us. We expect someone else to tell us what to do, tell us how to live and therefore, once we get that right, we go, okay, we've grown a bit in our, in our spiritual maturity. And like we said earlier, you know, that church attendance doesn't equal spiritual maturity. A desire and a relationship for God does. So that was the introduction. The next part isn't as long. So, so, so from, from this part into the next three weeks, we're going to deal with some of, the, some of the principles, some of the practices that help us grow in spiritual maturity. You know, hopefully what we've done there is we've shown that spiritual maturity is, is something we need to strive for, something we need to want to go deeper in. So, so, so some of the practices that we'll dis discuss, and a research, some research study in America, these were the four most influential practices that people mentioned to help them grow in spiritual maturity. And, and, as, we, and as I share them, they're not going like, to blow your mind. So don't, don't expect like, some deep revelation here. But, but the first one is Scripture. The second one is prayer. The third one is relationships. And the fourth one is generosity. You know, I think those are things that we've probably heard and now we go, oh, okay. There's nothing, there's nothing special there. And as Richard Foster says in his book of Celebrating Disciplines, he explains that spiritual disciplines don't achieve maturity in themselves. They, they're not the thing that gets you mature, but rather they act like a surgeon's table, placing you placing you on the table where, where, where God can stir your soul. I mean, I kind of thought about, you know, if, if you're trying to do surgery and your patient was running around, it's going to be, it's going to be fun, but, but you're probably not going to get it right. I mean, John's looking at me going, I'm just going to like cut inside the nose while the guy's running around. It, it's not going to go so well, but rather you're placed on the table and you're knocked out and you stay there, hopefully. You know, that's, that's the point. But so, so like these, these disciplines are there to, to put us in a place that, that allows God to move, that allows God to work. They are tools that God uses to draw us towards himself. 
So, so today we're just going to be looking at the topic of Scripture. And, and again, it's just going to be a basic run-through. Hopefully there's some really cool tools that you can take out of it. But Richard Foster says regarding Scripture that it's the most influential of all the catalysts that, hope, that help promote spiritual growth. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11 says, for, the, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that in which I purposed it. It shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. And that's God describing His Word, that, that God's Word has a purpose. It's there to encourage, it's there to build up. He sent it for a reason, and He, t- and he tells us that it won't return to Him void. He sent it for a purpose, and it's a purpose that it will achieve. So, so as we look at Scripture and, and think, you know, how does Scripture help our spiritual growth? The, the first point that, that I think we need to deal with is, is we need to read Scripture. You know, it, it's not, it, that's not a life-changing point, but it really is. It, it's easy to talk about it. It's easy to talk about it in small group. It's easy to talk about it now in church and go, oh, that was such a cool sermon. I really liked the verse that he preached from. But during the week, we have no desire to read it ourselves. So the first point is that we need to read Scripture. And now I know saying that it sounds very daunting because... It's a book like no other book. Like any other book you read that has like how many chapters and verses and different authors but still makes sense. Like it, so we're going to get into some of the practicals. You know, firstly, we, we need to read the Bible systematically. You know, I think gone are the, gone are the days where, and sometimes this works, so I'm going to be very careful. But, you know, if you just took your Bible, put it, put it down on the, on the desk, sat there and said, okay, Lord, speak to me. Now the rest of the acts of Dura and all he did, all these might, were not written in the book of Chronicles or the king of Israel. Okay, that, that doesn't really help me. And then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write these commands down. Like, is that an iPad or a piece of... Okay. You know, there's, there's, there's an approach that you can't just, you can't just wing it. Okay, the Bible's written with, with, with a plan, with a purpose. You know, just trying to take one verse and go, you know, that's exactly what God's trying to say to me can get very scary because sometimes if you read the verse just before it, you don't want to go through that to get there. You know, we, we want, maybe we want the blessing, but we don't want to go through the hardship first. So, so read the Bible systematically, book by book. You know, use, use a reading plan. Don't just take wild swings at it. So, so start, start somewhere, go through it systematically, piece by piece, and, until you get to the end. You know, there's, there's multiple approaches. I know Joe uses one where it's, you, you go through the whole Bible in the year, and, and there's four different sections. So it's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, um, or, and, and a history book. Um, so it goes through section by section. You read chunks of it. Other people just go through book by book, one book at a time, read it, study it, help it make sense. Secondly is you need to read small and bite-sized chunks. You know, kind of going, okay, I'm going to read the Bible today, and I'm just going to start reading in Matthew and get to Revelation by the end of the day. That's it. 
okay, tomorrow, because the Old Testament's longer, I'm going to do it in two days. And, and then you're done. You go, okay, I've read the Bible this year, I can sit back and relax. No, rather use small bite-sized chunks that, that help you, that you have time to, to grasp, time to wrestle, time to seek what it means for you. I remember when we were at college, Joe did it. I fortunately didn't do it this way. But in first year, you do a subject called Bible Read. It's quite a cool subject for you know, guys studying to be pastors. You, you read the whole Bible. I fortunately did it over about four or five months because I was a distance student. Full-time students do the whole Bible in seven days. Start at seven in the morning and they end at about 11 at night with a one-hour lunch break. And then you have to write a report at the end going, I've read the Bible. And the lecturer says, these are the words you should use. I've read the, whole, I've read the entire Bible to the best of my ability. Because there's those moments where you sit there and I've heard the stories. And all of a sudden, you hear a page turn, and then you hear one guy. Okay, I'm now there. <laughs> I was in chapter 1, everyone else is in chapter 18, let me catch up. But, but it's, it's read, it, read it in bite-sized chunks, read it that you're able to grasp it. And as you read those bite-sized chunks, there's a few questions we need to ask ourselves. It's firstly, what does it mean? You know, it was written for a purpose, you know, what's it trying to say? Understand what it means. Secondly, what jumps out to you? You know, what is God trying to say in it? Or is God giving you something to share with someone else? But, but what does it mean? Thirdly, as you've read it, you know, is there a sin that I need to confess or an example that I need to follow? You know, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the point of this piece of passage for me? Secondly, what does the passage teach us about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? You know, what's it showing us? What's it revealing to us? Secondly, what does it teach us about the church and the world? You know, what is the purpose of the church and, and what has God called us to do for the world around us? And finally, and I think this is the most important question, and I think we often get this question wrong, is, is what do I need to do about this? It's easy to, to read your Bible or listen to a sermon and go, this is great for so-and-so but rather what, what's it mean for you? Or what does, what, out of this, what do you need to do about it? What do you need to change? Who do you need to go tell something to? You know, what's the point? And, and finally, keep a written record of this. Okay, and, and, I, and I stand here going, I'm horribly terrible and I suck at this. But, but like journaling, like it's not just like that dear diary entry with a little lock. But, but it's, it's write down what you've, what you read, what I've started doing, no one got to find one, is, is I just write in my Bible. That way it's there and I'm not going to lose it. But, but keep a written record of, of, you know, what is God saying to you in that passage? You know, what, what do you need to do out of it? And as you look back, you see where, where God's led you, where God's guided you, where God's corrected you, where God's shown you a sin in your life. And, and you go through it that way. Keep a record and see what God is doing. The second practice regarding Scripture is, is writing Scripture out. You know, some people recommend writing it out word for word. So take a passage, write it out, and, and, and meditate on that. And, you know, as you write it, you know, most people tell you that as you study, as you sit and write it out, it tends to sink into your mind a lot better. It's not just reading and hoping it absorbs, but you physically thinking through it. 
Thirdly, we need to spend time and reflect on God's word. This, this means being quiet. Thinking, allowing God and giving God time to speak. You know, think about it. Think about what you've read. Reflect on it and take it into the day with you. And, and think about it the whole day. Not just for like an hour or five minutes in the morning. But, but think about it while you're in your car, while you're fetching the kids, while you're at work. You know, what, what does this passage mean for me? Fourthly, discuss it. I think some of my, my clearest memories of, of, you know, what God has been trying to say or, or what a verse means is, is spending time speaking about it, discussing it with a friend, discussing it in a small group. You know, it's, as often in our minds, we, we're so focused on us. And, and when you speak to someone else, you, you, get their, you get their idea, you get their interpretation, you, you get what they could think it means, and, and it gives you a broader picture than just yourself. And fifthly, study it. Um, it's good every now and then to, and if you look in the back of your Bible, most Bibles have an index. And it'll say grace or love, or, and it'll give you a whole bunch of verses that, that relate to grace or love or mercy. And, and use those verses, study it by a topic. You know, get, get the theme, get, get an understanding of what love is, get an understanding of what grace is. So, so study it book by book, or study it by a topic. And, and sixthly is, and finally, is, is memorize scripture. You know, it's, it's something that I, I work on. I have this ability to often remember the verse, but not where it's from, which is awkward when you're trying to tell someone to look it up. That's where Google comes in. So half my Google search is just like, like start of verses, and then I find the reference. But memorize it because Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It, it's that idea of when something comes in, you know, when a taxi cuts in front of you, you go, okay, Lord, you are, you are, you are, you are slow to anger and abounding in love. Help me be that person. <laughs> right now <laughs> and and as you know you can you can just you you can you can call to account those things in your mind you can use them as as encouragement for others you can encourage yourself with them daily so so that was the topic of scripture you know that we need to focus on it it's god's written word to us it's it's written for us written for a purpose and god has given it to us to to encourage us to build us up to to correct us. And just two verses, and then we're going to go into to communion. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of the Lord is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning thoughts and all intentions. And then I think the one that we, we know quite well but 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And, and that's the reason that we have, the, we have Scripture, that, that, that last little bit, that we may be complete and be equipped for every good work. You know, that, that's why God sent it, that, that we can use it for that purpose. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to head over to the communion table. So Lord, just thank you for your word. Thank you that, that you've given it to us, you've inspired it. Lord, we can trust it. Lord, I just pray now as we go to your table, Lord, that you'll just give us a, 
a clear mind, a, a fresh revelation of, of what this means. So I pray for this in your name. Amen.